Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Um, hopefully the title is a little bit intriguing. I'll give you a little bit of uh, what this is about. So um, that's a title with a catchphrase, How to Live for Jesus When the World Says That You Shouldn't. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. So credit where credit is due. Um, this series will rely heavily on a book by our Perth author, pastor and speaker Stephen McAlpine. When I say rely heavily, I mean we've stolen the title from him. Um, And um, it's an amazing book. Um, It's only 140 pages long, so nice and, you know, not too too epic. And it is, um, we've actually got a few, I feel like a bookstore salesman now, we've actually got a few (laughs) that are down the back, not because we're trying to like, you know, mega take over some uh, Dimmicks or, did that close down? Anyway, what what a bookstore or anything like that. But because we want to help resource you to how do we think clearly, how do we respond to what God has for our lives as we, you know, journey through this life. So it'll draw um, from that book heavily, uh, also from another book that I'm currently 80% of the way through, which is a lot nerdier and a lot more technical. It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. I'd highly recommend it, but it is, well, I'd highly recommend the first 80% because that's all I've read. But it is, it is, it is intense and I find myself Googling at least two definitions definitions of words per page. So just a, just a heads up. So if you want the easy read, go for Stephen McAlpine. If you're a nerd like me, go for you know, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. But now that I've got all those things out the way and I can't be sued for other people's content, let's turn to the most important book. So we're going to go to the Bible, chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, in verses 12 through 19. You'll find the verses on the screen behind me. And obviously in a Bible or you version that you have with you. It says this, uh, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in the manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your life to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Now, as you read this and uh, listen to this and hear terms like maybe like fiery, you know, fiery trials and suffering, and maybe you know a little bit about the, or maybe a lot about the beginnings of the early church and the persecutions against us. For example, uh, history tells us that, that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, was crucified for his faith. Not only was he crucified, but he said, there's no way I can... Uh, be martyred the same way as my saviour was, so chose to be martyred upside, upside down. Um, but actually, the moment that Peter's writing here, uh, it wasn't actually 
right there, the Christians being fed to the lions, you know, by the emperor, by the emperor and all that, all that sort of stuff. It was actually a little bit before that. All that came later. But verse 14 of the passage says that they were insulted for identifying with Jesus. I'll give you a few other things that Peter says earlier uh, in the same letter. 1 Peter 4.4 4 says, Of course your former friends are surprised when you, when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. 1 Peter 2 verses 12 says this, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. One more, uh, 1 Peter 3.16 says, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So here... Uh, across just some of those verses there in 1 Peter, we've got slander, we've got being accused of our wrongdoing, we've got insult, and we've got malicious speak. Now, that was the environment that Peter was speaking into under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he wrote this letter to Christians that were spread uh, throughout the region. Now, switching over to our current modern day context, you might not feel things like this, or maybe you do. Often this is dependent upon the environment in which you work and the people that you associate with. However, there has definitely been a change in recent years in relation to how Christian views are are perceived in the wider culture. And so in this series, our goal is that we would understand where we are culturally and then what is Jesus calling us to do about it? Like how how are we going to respond to this? Um, Back to Peter's letter for a second. One of the major differences that I can see between then and now is that when they came into a faith in Jesus, there was already this hostility in place. However, If you maybe have been a follower of Jesus for a number of years, uh, maybe 20 years ago, we have come out of a very different uh, season culturally. I I remember, even me, surely I'm not that old, but um, I remember growing up as as a teenager, and while, just to take for example, the uh, classic Christian uh, sexual ethic of, you know, things like sexual relations should stay inside the boundaries of marriage, you know, modesty in terms of dress and appearance, not moving in together until marriage, you know, that that gender is something that is given to us by God through biology and physiology, you know, just just to name a few. All those things 20 years ago were not necessarily uh, celebrated or encouraged. They were put down as maybe being, you know, a bit boring, a bit, you know, straight edge, just to throw a 90s term in there for you, you know, a little bit, um, you know, sure, surely you want a little bit more excitement, like surely it should be, you know, like try before you buy, you know, they, but even though they were put down, they were generally seen in the wider culture as being fairly positive. But I'm not sure if you found this already, but today is very different. Stephen McAlpine puts it like this in his book. Uh, he says, the question we may ask is not simply how did this happen, but how did this happen so quickly? Wasn't it only yesterday that Christianity was begrudgingly accepted as a societal good? I, I like this bit. A bit like taking cod liver oil in the 50s. Not all that palatable, but beneficial. But now it's not only unpalatable, it's positively toxic, and now it's time to get rid of it. What was seen even as, as I was growing up as a teenager and as boring, and you know, surely you'd want to live with more excitement, 
is now seen as potentially oppressive, um, detrimental to human flourishing, and it can be a little bit unstabling to suddenly become the bad guy or, or at least accused of wrongdoing when you don't feel like that's the case. Uh, I remember being in uh, high school in year eight and so, so we have a complicated last name. It doesn't sound like it because they say, what's your name? And I say, Marty Ions. And you're like, Ions? And that doesn't sound very complicated. But when you see it written, it's got this weird apostrophe in it. It's got a capitalized second letter. People look at it and they're like, what? Like, what is this? Like, what is, what, what, what is going on here? And so I remember uh, being in year eight and we had this relief teacher for English uh, one day, and she was reading through the role to get the, um, you know, you know, see if people people are here. And she gets down to my name, and she says Martin, because that's actually my real name. But feel free not to call me that. Anyway, so she gets down to it, and she goes, and she goes, Martin. I, I. She's like, oh, how do how do I how do I pronounce that? And, you know, I'm sure I remember being very polite. I'm sure I was. You know, year eight boys definitely. Um, but I, but I was like, oh, don't worry, miss. It's okay. Like, I'm here, you know, I'm here. She's like, no, 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 how do you pronounce your surname? I'm like, don't worry, it's complex, it's all right. In my head, I'm thinking, I'm never going to see you in my life again. It's all right, don't, don't worry, it's fine. And then she's like, third time, like, teacher voice on. She's like, no, how do I pronounce it? I'm like, okay, it's Ironson. She looks at me, grumpy face goes, get out. <laughs> and you can imagine, you know, year eight classroom, you know, the class erupts in laughter, you know, all the social justice warriors are suddenly out like, that's how you say his name, you know. They've never been so passionate about anything, but when the teacher's wrong about something, like, hey, come on, we're getting, getting, getting fired up. Anyway, sort of all settled down. Uh, I didn't have to leave the classroom. Obviously, only slightly emotionally scarred, because I'm talking about it, you know, 27 years later. Um, but I, I remember thinking, like, I just became the bad guy. I just got in trouble for simply stating my name. Maybe it's not your surname, but maybe, or maybe, or maybe it is. We can have a little group together. Maybe that can be our that can be our life group. Like people with complicated surnames and first names, and you know, we just need to unpack our emotional, you know, stuff. Yeah, Neve. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you're feeling it. All right, but um, Neve, by the way, is spelled N-I-A-M-H. In case you're wondering, it's pronounced Neve. Just just helping, just helping, just helping you out there. So maybe it's not your surname. But you felt that shock of being the bad guy when you feel like you haven't changed your belief or position. It's just that everything has changed around you. Maybe you've been in the staff room at work and someone asks you a question on a topic that you know if you answer faithfully to your Christian beliefs, it'll be seen in a negative light. Maybe the HR department in your office has sent through details about a special day of celebration for an ideology that you believe is contrary to your religious convictions and you're unsure about how do I respond to this. I think if I respond this way, I might be seen as a bad guy, but I don't know what to do about this. this so what, what do we do with that? Now, it's important, I want to put this little caveat in here, it's important to realise that I'm not advocating that everything the church as a whole has done has been great. There's been many things historically and very recently where the church has fallen way below the standards it needed to be at, whether that's in the treatment of people from different racial and ethnic groups, child abuse or transparency with money and power. There have been many things done in the name of Christianity that in fact had nothing to do with the Christian faith and everything to do with sin, compromise and holding on to power and selfish gain. However, it's also 
important to remember this. This is um, Stephen McAlpine again. He says this, the catch cry of equal value, dignity and worth is grounded upon the biblical statement that humans are made in the image of God. For the Christian, this reality is enhanced by the incarnation in which God became a man, one of us. Historian Tom Holland, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, slightly different. I know every teenager girl was like, Tom, did you say Tom Holland? No, no. Historian Tom Holland uh, wrote a book called Dominion. He's not a Christian. Apparently an amazing book. I haven't read it. It's extra thick. But anyway, if you want to go, go, go for it. Um, he observes that these convictions did not arise from the ether that they are not fundamental, this is his quote, that human beings have rights, that they are born equal, that they are owed um, sustenance and shelter and refuge from persecution. These were never self-evident truths. What they are, in fact, is they are beliefs that flow from a biblical worldview. The society we live in today is founded on this framework that comes from Christianity. However, as another author, Mark Sayers, puts it, our progressive culture seeks what he says, the kingdom without the king. The ambition is to replicate the kingdom vision of the good life, a future of human rights, dignity, freedom, love and equality, but all without Jesus at the centre. That's, that's, the, that's the space we're currently in. So what do, what do we do with this? Well, what do we do with this landscape that we find ourselves in? Well, Carl Truman says this. He says, The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. I consider myself, ourselves, a WA local now. We've been here three and a half years, but there are still many times that... Surely that counts as local, doesn't it? Yep, okay. Kelly gave me the nod, so yes, yes. We're in, we're in. Um, but sometimes I still find myself having to be humble and unfortunately give in to sharing even more information with Google and use maps while driving. I know it's so annoying, isn't it? But it's just like so convenient as well. Sometimes when I'm at home or in the church office, which is the foyer and cafe, but anyway, we won't go there now, um, I'll be working on the laptop and need to find where I'm going, or work out how long a trip to some you know, random suburb in Perth that I've never heard of is going to take, and I type it into the laptop, and, and the problem is that on the laptop, I don't think I have location services turned on or something with haven't logged into Google or whatever. Don't tell me how to fix it. I'm very happy with it, with it not that way. But anyway, you put, the, you put the address in, and then you go hit directions, and you're like, hold up. That's right. I've got to actually say where I am first. You know, on the phone, because, you know, our phones know where we are permanently. You know, we're, anyway, we won't, we, won't, we won't go down that little rabbit hole uh, for, for a second. But, but on the laptop, I have to tell it where I am first, because there's no point. I think it thinks I'm in Wembley or something, which I would also have to Google to know where that is, Perth, somewhere. Um, when I put it in, it thinks I'm in Wembley, which I'm obviously not. And so it only works if I tell it where I am. And it means that when we, we, have to, we have to know where we've started before we know where we're going. If, if we're going to chart the course that God has for us during this cultural moment, then we won't know how to respond and the directions are taken unless we know where we are right now. And so that's why I spent hopefully about the first half of this message trying to unpack where we are. 
This is not to discourage us or to give in to the spirit of the age and play the victim card, to stamp our feet, say it's not fair, why is it, why is it this way? I can't, I can't believe this. It's also not to create fear, like, oh no, like, like, like what, what, what do we do? It's simply to establish a starting point. So now that we understand maybe where we are, What's, what's the next move? What, 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 what's the next step? How can, resp- how can we respond to this? Do we, do we change our, some of our core beliefs, you know, particularly uh, around the areas of identity and sexuality and the sanctity of human life that are, that are central, I believe, to, to following Jesus so that we can be seen in a different light in mainstream society so that we can become maybe once again the, the, the good guys? Is that, is that what we should do? Or, or should we get really angry and, you know, react with rage at the change and, you know, dive into social media arguments with anyone and everyone and, you know, campaign purely on a political level and, you know, pick a side, berate the other side and then, and then live like politics is the sole redeeming power of society? Should we, should, should we do that? Or, or, or should we maybe, you know, go and buy a real large property a long way east, you know, make sure that we've got like a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, someone who's good at designing bunkers and, you know, she'll hang out until the new world order takes over and there's chips everywhere and, you know, QAnon comes in to save us all. So I got a bit carried away there. But, you know, should, should, we, should we do that? Or maybe, maybe somewhere there's another option. Maybe there's a, there's a different way, and maybe this is not actually new. See, the people of God have been dealing with this for a long time, and God is more than well-equipped to fill us with the wisdom, courage, and grace to continue to see the good news of the gospel of Jesus spread throughout Mandra, throughout Peel, throughout WA, and to the, and to the ends of the earth. And in fact, what we'll find is that those um, people outside, that they will, they will find a, there's something about what we've got, not because we're smarter, not because we're better looking, although, you know, maybe we are. No, not, not because of any of those reasons, but because of what Christ has done on the inside of us. Because of who He is, because of, because of what He has done, because I know that I am a sinner in need of a saviour. I know that every day I fall short of the glory of God, but I have a relationship with Jesus who lifts me and encourages me and makes me new. And that every time I fall, every time I stumble, He's there to pick me up and say, hey, you know what? There's more in you than that. Don't live so low to those areas. So, so, so what's, the, what's the next move? Now we understand where we are and now we're hopefully not you know, building bunkers or going aggro on social media or, or changing you know, what we believe as, as a Christian just because of a little bit of um, you know conflict against us. What 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 do we do? A couple of thoughts. Uh, number one is this. Uh, sounds a bit random, but I'll explain. We need to. It, it's check your water quality. Check your water quality. All right. So there's this philosophical question that's been around for years. Does a fish know it's in water? I know. Deep, deep pun intended. By the way, there. But does, does a fish know it's in water? Well. It definitely knows when it's out of water because it's, you know, flapping all over the place and, you know, going nuts. But if it's just in normal in swimming around in the ocean, looking at the bait on uh, mine and my son's run going, no, not today. Like, why, why, why not? You know, if it's just doing all those normal things, does it understand that it's in water? You see, because the current culture that we live in as Australians in 2022 
it's quite pervasive. It's like, it's everywhere. It's like we're swimming in it. It's like we're, it's in the air that we breathe. It's in the things that we watch. It's in, it's in Disney. It's in the news. It's, in, it's, it's wherever it is. Uh, Carl Truman in his book calls this, uh, he calls this season that we're in, he calls it psychological man. I'll explain it for you. It's the, the, the thinking is that the goal of life is to be true to who you are on the inside. Sounds nice at the start until you dig down a little bit. Um, That your identity is not found in time or place or anything external. Your identity is found in who you feel you are, regardless of your biology or even your physical makeup. The, um, The psychological you, you on the inside, trumps everything. And therefore... Any external institution, any social norm or personal moral framework that is not allowing you to express who you really feel you are on the inside, what they call our authentic, authentic self, then those people or that, um, you know, that institution or whatever's, whatever's going on there, they're oppressive, immoral, and they're even dangerous. That's, that's, the, that's what we're swimming in right now. That, that, that's just a culture that we find. Like I said, from, from Disney movies to where, wherever, wherever else, it's, it's just in there. And see, the problem with this is that to follow Jesus, you're called to deny yourself. You're called to take up your cross and follow him. The, the, the world says that, and this psychological man says that um, sin or the problem is external. That on the inside is who you really are, and then everything outside there that's trying to stop you from being who you are on the inside, that, that's, the, that, that's the problem. These social structures, these people, these institutions, they're suppressing my ability to be, uh, to be truly who I feel to be on the inside. But you see, the gospel is actually the opposite. The gospel says that the problem is, is internal, that it's the human heart. Jeremiah says that, 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 it's, that it's evil that it carries evil desires that don't always line up with God's principles. And the way through, so salvation is to allow something external that is the power of God in to transform your heart and to make you a new creation. That your identity is actually not found by looking internally, but it's found by looking externally to God because He has an identity, he has a purpose, and he has a plan for your life. This way of viewing the world fills our social media, the entertainment that we watch, magazines and news articles that we read. It's how marketing departments promote products. It's everywhere. And you're never going to avoid it. But what we can do is we can check the water that we're swimming in. We can do a little bit of a water test and see what inputs are we allowing into our minds and into our souls. And here's a good scale to look at. It's from Philippians chapter 4. You may know this verse, 8 uh, through to 9 in the NLT. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Other uh, translations there will say meditate. But fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So on this little water test here, how does your Netflix watching, 
maybe the people you follow on social media, maybe, maybe the articles that you read, maybe the music that you listen to, how, how do they test against these things? How do they, how do they stack up with what Philippians said? Are, are, are they pure? Are they noble? Are they, are they of good report? I, I find this is, an, this is a continual adjustment. Can, can I be honest? I started watching this Netflix series um, the other week, got two episodes in, I'm like, actually, why am I giving myself to this, this garbage? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it off. Also, thankfully, the English Premier League started. So I was like, hey, now there's something to watch. My team won, by the way, in case you're wondering. Chris's team drew. But anyway, we're not, we're not, we're not going there. We're not going there. I'm just, it won't happen for long, so I'm taking it as much as possible. But what we're, what we're letting in, the water that we're in, I think it's time to take a check. I, th- I think it's time to understand and, 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 and see what happens. It's not just about saying no to things, but it's also about what we say yes to. Uh, we're very fortunate to, uh, to live in a house with a pool. And I know no one is thinking about their pool in this weather, including, including me. But luckily, the previous owners put in this very automatic type pool pump thing. I think it's called a salt chlorinator or something with an acid dripper that you feel every now and then. And basically, obviously, I know nothing about it, but you press the button and it works and it, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it makes it go. Um, what I do know is that each morning it comes on for a couple of hours and each afternoon it comes on for a couple of hours and then it makes sure the right chemicals are in there and the pH level is right and all that, all that, all that sort of thing. And all that to say, even though there's a lot of leaves in our pool at the moment and I haven't touched it for months, it's not green. It actually, yeah, I know. Actually, Rachel, she's like, wow, the water's actually looking really good. I'm like, yeah, I'm so good at pool <laughs> chemistry. And all that, all, all, that, all that sort of stuff. But, but why, why, why is it not green? Well, it's not green because there's been a rhythm that's been set. See, if you do nothing, it goes green. But if you put something in place, some rhythms in place, it will keep the water healthy and keep the water clean. So here's, here's a couple, they sound pretty basic, but here's a couple of, of set rhythms that I believe will help to check the water that we're in, the culture that we find ourselves in, and to make sure that we don't go green, to, um, to, to follow who God ha- what, what God has called us to. Here's a couple of rhythms. First one is this, is regular church attendance. I know, seems basic, seems obvious. Hearing the word, being encouraged by others is something, and I know you're like, I'm here, you're preaching to the converted, I understand that. But there's something powerful about a set regular rhythm of being in the gathered community of church. There's something about that that helps to keep our, um, our water healthy. Reading the Bible, I, I know this, this seems like you know, Christianity 101, but can I say that we are the most, in terms of Bible and our ability to access the Bible, read the Bible, have things around us that help us understand the Bible, we are the most resource generation in the history of humanity. The history of humanity. On your smartphone, there are, I don't know, a gazillion Bible plans to follow through version. A thousand people writing about the Bible and what this means to access. And pretty much most of it is free. Like, amazing. Let's use that. Let's not just get familiar with that. But let's be reminded that people throughout history, uh, if you've, um, now I've just forgotten what the book's called, but if you've ever read the book by uh, Brother Yun, who was a, uh, a Christian in China, uh, they started with three I think it was like three, four pages 
of the Bible in the underground church um, and they just started reading from the start of Matthew chapter 1. Do you know what the start of Matthew chapter 1 is? It's the genealogy of Christ. They just started reading that and miraculously people were giving their hearts to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I'm preaching to myself, please. Um, we have all this resource around. Let's, let's use it to set a rhythm of allowing God's Word to shape our lives and keep our water healthy. A couple more prayer. Not just when we're looking for a park or hoping, please, Lord, let fuel be under $1.60 today. Amen. Yes, it's a miracle. I mean, no, no. Let's, let's, let's use prayer to build our life and our connection with God. Life groups, we have a whole bunch out on the life group wall there. Something about gathering together in community and small groups with people through Alpha, through our life groups, through our prayer meeting on a Friday morning that helps us to uh, be inspired by God and be on a journey with others. And I just put another one here, apologise and forgive quickly. The world's way is to justify ourselves and to cancel quickly. God's way is to apologise quickly and to forgive, you know, exponentially. How much, Rachel preached an amazing message on this a couple of weeks ago. You can grab it on the podcast. You know, how many times must I forgive? Pretty sure it was Peter asked Jesus. Is it seven? He's like, no, 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 Peter. Way more way more than that. So first step is we've got to check the water. Number two is this, as I'm getting ready to wrap up, is we need to live a confusing life. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to explain a little bit more of this and, and expand it a little bit more next week. Um, but maybe just as Justin joins me on the guitar here, I, I want to read this 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. It says this, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. And if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants, and to suffer for doing wrong. I, I want to just put our, vo- our focus, sorry, on second half of verse 16 there. It says, Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see the good life you live because you belong to Christ. You see, our, our lives, they, they should actually bring confusion to those who are outside the faith because they don't fit the, fit the box. People should be asking How can that person be so loving when they reject the idea that love is love? Uh, I'm confused. I don't don't understand. How, how, How can they interact with people like this when maybe I know some of their views on other areas? I don't get it. I'm confused. Aren't they supposed to be, um, you know, bigots, mean-spirited, and this and this and this? Like, I, I don't understand how, how that works. Our lives should initially bring confusion to those who don't understand. Listen to some of the words in the interactions from that verse with people that I just read. It said gentle, it said respectful, it said keeping our conscience clear. Uh, I work a couple of days a week as a, as a school chaplain. I remember one of the things that my area supervisor said was part of the role was to demonstrate to people what Christians in the church are actually like. 
There's been many, like I mentioned before, tragic, heartbreaking deficits from the church. Misuse of power, corruption, abuse, control, all those things. But there are also many people with unfounded negative views of Christianity in the church. But the opportunity that we have each and every day is to live in a way that confuses. Hold on, I thought you were supposed to be like this, but you're actually like this. I thought you were one of those, whatever term they want to use, born again, evangelicals, whatever, but you're like, but you're like this. I don't, I don't understand how that works. You know, I believe that if we're going to be the bad guys, and we will be that because the kingdom of God is not of this world, then let's be the best bad guys we possibly can. Let's be the most loving. Let's be the bad guys that are filled with the most grace and truth of God. Let, let's be the bad guys that, are, that confuse people and they're like, but your, your box is supposed to be like this. You're supposed, you're supposed to be like this. No, no, God has called us to break those things and to live in a way that stays true to Him, but then brings great, His grace, excuse me, His love into the world. Let's be the best bad guys possible, not in our own strength, but filled by the power of God, filled by His Word. Our key verse uh, for our church for the year has been this. It's been, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, declares the Lord. This morning, would you bow your heads in prayer with me?